0: Thanks for tuning into the Outcomes Rocket podcast where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural healthcare thinkathon. It's a conference that the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health/conference and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health/conference. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket podcast where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. I want to welcome you to go to outcomesrocket.health/reviews where you could rate and review today's podcast. Our guest is an amazing health contributor. Her name is Veronica Combs. She is the executive director at the Louisville Institute for Healthy Air, Water, and Soil. She's on a digital health project to help Focus on asthma. She's looking to reduce this. She's doing a lot of really interesting things around these social determinants of health, the environment, in order to make health better. She's been involved with the organization for close to four years, but previously she's also been a leader in the many things that involve health. And so, what I want to do is open up the microphone to Veronica and welcome you to the podcast.
1: Well, thank you so much, Saul. I appreciate the chance to talk to you and share our work. We are trying to change the way things get done down here
0: in Louisville, Kentucky. And you guys are doing some really good things. And so, Veronica, did I miss anything in your intro that maybe you want to chat with the listeners about?
1: Well, by training, I am a journalist, and I worked in newspapers for a while, and then I moved into the digital world. And at my last job, I was the editor of MedCity News. It's a daily publication focused on the business of healthcare, we, the publication covers entrepreneurs and digital health and medical devices and When I was the editor, we always said technology is going to change healthcare and revolutionize everything. And this current asthma project that I'm working on was really a chance to test that and see if that were true or that were just hype. So I was glad to have the opportunity to see how digital health would work in the real world with patients and doctors and insurance companies and advocates trying to make people healthier.
0: So you hit the road with your thoughts and theories, and it's been about four years. How do you feel the thoughts and theories are playing out?
1: So it you know, health is a big, complicated topic. There are parents and there are payers and there are providers. And it was, what was unique about the asthma project was that we brought people to the table who weren't always in the same room together. So this asthma project, geography was its organizing principle. So it was Louisville, Kentucky, people with asthma, self-insured employers trying to manage their healthcare bills providers trying to provide the best care for their patients, and then people living with asthma trying to control their symptoms and understand their triggers. So you didn't always have the American Lung Association talking with the public health department or the Office of Innovation in Louisville at the metro government talking with some of the providers in town. So it was really a chance to see how each person saw their role as, and then also to sort of cast a new role, this kind of collaboration that crosses sectors and really challenges people to rethink a little bit. I think turf is always an issue in healthcare. You know, this is my role and I like it and I don't want it to change. I think that people are realizing that they have to change to keep up with everything that's going on in healthcare and everything that's going on with our society in general. So parents were probably the people that really understood the program. If your kid is at school and they have an asthma attack, you want to know that. And for anyone with children, it's not always easy to get out of them what happened during a day. So if you have an alert on your phone that says your child is using the rescue inhaler, that's really important information for you to have. And if you have a record of that over time that you could share with the doctor, that's even more important. So parents were one of the biggest proponents of our work, doctors certainly saw the promise. With the platform that we used from Propeller Health, there was a dashboard. So we had a respiratory therapist who worked on this project with us. And so she could see everybody in the program. We enrolled 1,100 people. We tracked them for up to 18 months, looking at their medication use, looking at um, how the different seasons and temperatures affected their asthma. And so doctors could see the promise in having that information. Asthma attacks tend to build over a series of three or four days, so if you can catch someone on day one, they don't necessarily have to go to the hospital or the ER, whereas if someone can't breathe on day three of an exacerbation, then they're probably definitely headed for the ER, and, and rightly so. So doctors could see the promise, but then fitting this into their workflow was really a challenge. The program was funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Foundation and it was free to participate. All we asked for was sort of access to people to to promote the program. So mm-hmm. with doctor's offices, you know, we would handle all the enrollment, but doctors are very busy. You know, they don't have much time with patients. And so it was a challenge sometimes to fit into their workflow. At the other end of the spectrum, we worked with self-insured employers. Asthma is worse in Louisville than it is around the country. Nationally, the rate is about 8% whereas in Louisville it's closer to 13% especially in, among some vulnerable populations.
0: I wonder why that is. Well,
1: we are located right on the banks of the Ohio River and we are surrounded by coal-fired mm. power plants, our gotcha. own here in Kentucky, but also, you know, in Illinois and Indiana mm-hmm. and Ohio. And so we're kind of at the very bottom of a bowl. We don't have big tall beautiful mountains like Salt Lake City does. <laughs> the hills around our city do the same thing, which is basically trap pollution on top of the city. So okay. if it's a really still hot day in the summer, there's no wind to clear out the air. There's no rain to clear out the air. So um, we have, what I like to say is we have sort of chronic low level pollution. It's not like Beijing. it's You could always see the building next door to you. You're not in a fog, but it's always this sort of, Just enough to be problematic, and there was recently a report that said that there are forty-six additional deaths every year in Louisville due to air pollution. Wow! And even for healthy people, it can take up to a year off of your life. Yeah,
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's it's sort of a factor, an environmental health factor that we think doesn't get enough attention. So part of the goal with the asthma project was to say to employers, you really have to care about the air because it's affecting your healthcare costs it 's affecting attendance at school it 's affecting your your work your employees ability to get work done, so that 's why we went to employers to try to bring them into the conversation and tell them why the air is relevant to them. Louisville is always looking for new companies to relocate here, and people have told me or transplants have told me that they visited a few times in each season because they 've heard the air is bad and they didn 't want to move to a place where they can 't breathe. Oh my goodness, so it really is a factor. And the ASWA project that we did, Air Louisville, was designed to sort of quantify this risk and get people talking about the air outside and how it affects our health.
0: So listeners, you know, it's something to consider, right? We're so focused on the four walls of the hospital. Let's start thinking about outside of those four walls. I know I always talk about this ad nauseum, but this is so true. And And the project that Veronica and her team are dedicated to, is focused on just that, you know, what, what is the quality of your air, water, and soil? And what are you doing in your community to bring that to the next level? If you're an, an executive at a company, what are you doing to do your part? And as providers in the space, what are you doing to do your part? And so, Veronica, this is super interesting. And so when you, now you're, you've been doing this project for some time now, have you noticed some traction with the goals that you guys have been trying to meet?
1: So what we did was we took this data. So the technology centerpiece of the project was a small sensor that fits on top of a, a rescue inhaler. It's a, it's a metered dose inhaler. It's the kind that you compress to get a dose of medicine. So the sensor, mm-hmm. when you took a dose of medicine, it would record the time and the date. It would send that information to an app on your phone, which wrapped in location. So you had this sort of passively collected record of all every time you were having an asthma attack, as long as you were in the program and using the sensor. Mm-hmm. And so most of our participants um, agreed to share their data with us, in an anonymized version, of course. And so we were able to create maps of where asthma was the biggest problem in Jefferson County. We really wanted to get down to a neighborhood level. It's intimidating to think about cleaning up the air in all of Jefferson County. It's a quite a large county. But if you think about this neighborhood has a higher risk than that neighborhood, then you could focus your resources to think about planting trees or reducing idling or working with industry uh, to try to reduce emissions. So we collected 250,000 data points about medication use. And because we have a timestamp and a location stamp for each one of those medication uses, we could associate environmental data with that snapshot in time, that point in time where a person was having trouble breathing. So we could know the temperature, the humidity, the pollen levels, pollution levels, where in town the person was. And so we created these maps that showed where people with asthma were at the highest risk of having an attack. And so the city city gave us some funds to plant trees. Um, We launched a new alert system with the city to warn people who have sensitive airways of bad pollution days. We've been working with some neighborhoods that are particularly at risk One thing that was really interesting about the work was that it did change the conversation about air in Louisville. Most of the time when you talk about bad air, people always think of the West end. On the West end of Louisville, there are about 20 chemical plants that date from Mm -hmm. World War II. And they make synthetic rubber components that go into synthetic rubber. Mm -hmm. So um, people always assume that there's bad air in the city, it's there. Well, with this asthma map, we could show that lack of trees, lots of paved services, high temperatures, all contributed to the risk of an asthma attack. It wasn't just the chemical plants in the West End. Mm. And so that made it a broader conversation. One thing that the Institute has done is uh, created Twitter accounts for each of the EPA monitors around town. So if you could, you could see what the air was like in West End versus the downtown business district versus the East End. And we actually got a few Metro Council members to start following these accounts. And it was a revelation to the gentleman in the East End, the more affluent part of town, that he had air quality problems almost as often as the folks in the West End. So it really has raised awareness and has given us, I think, more accessibility to some to the mayor, to some of the decision-making processes. I can't say that we've won every battle that we've, <laughs> that we've fought, but we have <laughs> definitely changed the conversation. And the city rewrote its comprehensive plan last year, and we were able to use some of the asthma data to inform some policies and to make some recommendations. And that voice of environmental health backed up by all this data is not usually in those conversations, you know, about zoning or road building or, or things like that. So we were able to, to use our data to really start policy conversations and, and get more people talking about these issues.
0: And that is super interesting, Veronica. And so congratulations on, on getting that going and getting some traction. Sounds like you've had some wins. Sometimes you haven't won, but overall you're definitely raising awareness and and listeners, it just brings to, to mind, what are you doing to raise awareness? Oftentimes, it's just bringing awareness. I mean, how clever is, is that? You know, hooking up the information from the different areas of town and putting it out there on Twitter so that the conversation is had. It's hard to ignore those things. And kudos to you and your team, Veronica, for having been so creative in figuring something like that, the social component of AIR. So what can we do as health leaders to apply these creative ideas to help impact outcomes in a really positive way? What do you feel, Veronica, is is next? You've been on this project for a while. How much longer and what's next for you?
1: So we completed a related project in 2016 and we've just launched um, a new project, uh, again, sort of inspired by this asthma data. One of the hotspots that showed up in town was out by the malls. Louisville has two Big malls that're right next to one another. It's there's mm-hmm. a ton of traffic. You know, you, everyone understands what it means when you say, "Yeah, I'm on Shelbyville Road," or I've been sitting here for ten minutes waiting to find a parking spot or waiting to turn into the mall. So as it happens, so so that showed up as a hotspot of asthma attacks. Like I said, lots of traffic, not many trees, lots of pavement which makes the environment hotter, which is a risk for a trigger for an asthma attack. And so as it happens, right across the street from the mall, right in one of these asthma hotspots was a a Catholic school, a through K-8 Catholic school. Mm -hmm. And they had this big, beautiful front yard, perfect for planting trees. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. as it happened, the Pope, just as we were starting to talk about this project, the Pope released his encyclical about how Catholics need to care for the earth because it's our home and because it's the only one we have and because it's just part of of the faith and the way we show love for one another and for our planet and for creation. So the environment was at the top of mind for this path, uh, Catholic parish. And so we asked them if we could use their front yard for a science experiment. And what we did was we measured the air quality in the front yard. We had an electric golf cart and we strapped some air monitors to it. And we drove in great big rectangles around the front yard to measure particulate wow. matter and nitrogen dioxide. And At the same time, we recruited 60 students and 20 teachers to participate in a health study. And it was quite a big ask of the school. Um, St. Margaret Mary Catholic School has been a fantastic partner for us in this work. The kids and the teachers had to give blood and urine samples, and they answered a health question about their overall health and their conditions and things like that. And so then we planted 80 mature trees in half of their front yard. So we actually found an old Christmas tree farm. that The trees were too big to be Christmas trees, but um, they were still big, beautiful trees. And pine trees actually... They do quite a good job in blocking pollution, so they're perfect for our project. So after we planted the trees, we measured the air and we did the random health study again, and we found that the trees, this sort of wall of trees that we built and that we planted in the front yard, reduced particle pollution by 60%. sixty percent. Sixty?
0: Block- how much percent?
1: Sixty percent. Uh huh. Sixty percent. That's huge. Yes, and this particle pollution is the kind that gets all the way into your bloodstream. It's so tiny that it can penetrate all your body's defenses basically and go basically deep into your lungs and then out into your bloodstream, which is not good at all for your immune system. So blocking right. this kind of particle pollution is really, really important. So, and the health study also showed some promising results. It was a small group of people. So obviously it's not, it's not a clinical trial and it's, we can't say definitively, but we found that protective immune cell activity was higher after the trees were planted. What that means is the children were not fighting off this sort of low-level constant attack of pollution and these protective immune cells were able to repair blood vessels and just keep the body in good working order. What that means from a health point of view in adults is that your risk of heart attack is lower. So we reduced particle pollution and it seemed at least initially to reduce the risk of heart attack. It has the potential to reduce the risk of heart attack. So we spent about... to plant these trees, and hopefully they'll be there for many years to come. Again, introducing data into some of these health conversations, if you think about the cost of statins to reduce cholesterol and reduce that risk of heart attack, planting trees is quite a different solution that could potentially have as much power as taking statins. And it affects the whole community, right? Whether you're taking... statins, you know, you have to get a prescription and then actually take the prescription. If you're changing the environment to reduce pollution levels, that affects everybody, whether you're taking a statin or
0: not. Yeah, that's absolutely a a great example. And back to the air quality and pollution, there's talk of if you can buy the elderly in urban areas an air conditioner for $500, you could prevent a cardiac procedure during the hottest months of summer. So, right. what can we do for our communities to affect health in a positive way? And Veronica is doing an amazing job with her efforts with the air quality in her community. What can we do in ours? And such a great story, and how wonderful that the church and the Catholic school was able to align with you guys and participate in a very meaningful way.
1: Yes. That- that's why we we really want to bring corporations into these conversations, um, nonprofits. We really need partners that will step up and say, "Yes, I will help out with this." Or, "Yes, I will try this." We had seven employers in Louisville who participated in the asthma project. Metro Louisville Employees, Humana, Brown Foreman, which is a spirits company here in Louisville. If you like bourbon, then you should know about Brown Foreman. Kindred is a long-term care company. So, what really, we could not have done the work without those partners. Uh, the public health department was very involved. And so I think it really is, it's a different way to look at health when you bring all these people to the table. And not necessarily say, what can you do differently, but certainly how can you contribute? How can you help change attitudes and come up with new ideas and, and just help us test some of these theories? Because you're not not—you're not always going to pick the right theory, but at least you're you are moving in a different direction.
0: For sure. and And, you know, one of the things that could happen is, You just feel like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make an impact with such a little stamp? And the reality is you got to start with a small stamp and work from there. So don't feel like what you're doing is not going to make an impact. It it starts small. Would you agree?
1: Yes. Yes. I think standing up and volunteering and saying, how can I help? I think that's what's so exciting about the digital health world is there, there are entrepreneurs and there are doctors and nurses and pharmacists who are willing to, to try something different. I think it's easy to be sort of negative and, and say, well, we tried that already and it didn't work. Or, well, you don't understand what it's like to have diabetes, so you couldn't possibly build an app that would work for me who has diabetes. So I think that it's really important to keep trying new things and to support entrepreneurs and innovators and say yes more than than saying no. The Institute, we, I recently participated in a, in a discussion about failures and how, and I think that's even more important to talk about what didn't work because then you can save the other people from the pain of of making that same mistake, but that you can, you know, make this sort of, trial and error more a normal part of of our work instead of, you know, having this high stakes of have to make the right bet every time. Certainly there are consequences for making the wrong bet, but there are equally bad consequences for doing nothing or just being afraid to try.
0: Yeah. And on that topic, Veronica, can you share an experience where something didn't go your way and what you got out of it? So
1: one of the initial, as you mentioned, the Institute is about four years old, and our very first project was called, was centered around the air quality egg. And one thing that we would like to do is to get people to understand the air in sort of their neighborhood. So right now, there's one air quality score for all the whole Jefferson County, and it's a big county. And it, it, that one score doesn't really reflect every neighborhood. It, it's too big of a, a number. We need a more fine-grained analysis of what the air is like in mm-hmm. at least my little corner of my quadrant of Jefferson County or my neighborhood. And so these air quality eggs were new technology, low-cost sensors. They had a Wi-Fi connection. So the idea was you would hang this on your porch, and it would tell you what the air was like in your neighborhood. So we thought, oh, citizen science, you know, supporting new technology, you know, getting more awareness. Well, it turned out that the initial version, the first version of the air quality egg was trying to measure several pollutants, and it was just way too sensitive. So it was telling people the air was bad when the air was fine. And the Institute has always tried to sort of be a neutral party, where we're really about science and education and data and not necessarily a particular political point of view. And so we've tried to maintain good relationships with the city and the people who are officially in charge of the air. And so as you can imagine, us telling people the air is bad when it's not (laughs) doesn't help our credibility and enemies of the people who are officially in charge of the air. So that was kind of a stumble, but it did give us a lot of insight into these sensors. It told us who in the community was interested in this data and then it really helped shape the asthma project because with different sensors and a broader scope of data analysis, we could get to some of those, we could get to what we wanted to get to, which was a, a little more personalized take on the air quality in someone's neighborhood without relying on this technology that was too sensitive. So, and, and like I said, it opened a lot of conversations. We learned a lot and we felt like we were setting an example of, of not being afraid to be a pioneer. We pointed a few arrows in the back for our air quality egg project but we learned a lot and it certainly informed our work to help it be more successful as we went forward
0: yeah thank you for sharing that veronica it's just getting out there everybody it's getting out there and doing your part you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna have to tweak you're gonna have to recalibrate like veronica and her team did with the egg and so yeah it's all about getting out there and doing And reiterating. So Veronica, we're at the point of the interview where we build a leadership course syllabus on Mm. health and what to do to improve outcomes. It's the 101 of Veronica
1: Combs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I've got four questions for you. We're going to do these lightning round style and then we're going to follow that with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yes. All right. What's the best way to improve health Outcomes. Listen
1: to the person whose health you want to improve. Don't assume a blanket solution. I would focus in on a person and a particular disease state, and talk to that person as much as you can to understand what life is really like for that person's health and how he or she would recommend improving the outcomes.
0: And to take it a step further and focus it on the air quality, how do we improve air quality outcomes?
1: Well, you could plant a tree in your front yard. You can telecommute instead of driving to work every day. You can get an electric car. You could look into band pools. Uh, Louisville has a... Uh, van pool service that every time they add a new van, it fills up. So if you can clean up the air and have a little more time to read or or catch up on email in the morning, that's a win for you as the individual and
0: the air. Awesome. Listeners, take note of those options and think about how you could clean your air. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid?
1: I think that one solution will fix all of it. I think healthcare is so complicated. You know, there are pediatricians and there are heart disease specialists and there are surgeons. I think that you really have to focus on some of the biggest challenges or focus on what's most important to your practice or to your health system and focus in on that and certainly take best practices, but don't assume that what works for pneumonia patients will also work for heart disease these patients. Healthcare is just so complicated. I guess the short version is never underestimate the complexity of the healthcare world.
0: How do you stay relevant despite constant change?
1: Being willing to learn, being willing to say, I don't know, being willing to question your assumptions and uh, read. I think keeping up with what's going on and keeping an open mind will help you incorporate changes into your own work, whatever that field that might be in and understand where you may need to do more or where what you have is working well.
0: What's one area of focus that should drive everything in your organization?
1: I think it sounds like a cliche, but uh, listening to your customer, I think so often if you're a physician, you've never used your patient portal or if you're an entrepreneur, you may not have the disease state that you're focused on building an app or building a service for. So I think getting in there and experiencing it yourself really changes your perspective. For a while, I was keeping a running list of healthcare executives who would make these grandiose statements about how patients just need to try harder and everything would work. And then those same executives went through a traumatic health care situation of their own cancer or an accident and suddenly they realize that it's really awful to be in the ER it's really hard to get your healthcare records so i think being willing to walk through your own customer experience will give you a deep level of insight that you won't
0: have otherwise That's a great insight What would you say your favorite book is that you recommend to the listeners on the syllabus
1: Gosh favorite book that's a hard one Well i'm reading When right now but you know i really like it. Fast Company. And I read a lot of just analysis online. I think that that helps me read more, I guess, just staying up with analysis and thought leaders in the space is is really done more for me than any particular book. So (laughs) sorry to to sabotage your question there, but uh, No, it's
0: good. It's a good perspective. You know, uh, typically we do get a book title, but yeah, you know, there's people in the space that are doing a lot of thinking. Why not dive into their thoughts? Any particular blogs or people that you follow that you want to recommend?
1: I try to sort of mix it up. I like to be, always be reading a venture capitalist blog. I like to read what a doctor has to say. I like to mm-hmm. read what pharmacists have to say. So I really, I'm not particularly a loyal reader, I guess. I, I like to mix up the people that I'm um, reading, but I think consciously picking people from different sectors that maybe you don't know anything about, again, that just sort of informs your perspective and um and helps you see something from experience that you haven't had or see, some, see an experience that from a different point of view. And I think that really helps you strengthen your business and your offering and just the way you approach work in general.
0: Yeah, Veronica, I love that response. Very non-traditional, just like you. That's, yeah, how, that's that's just that's how you right. roll. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Listeners, don't worry about jotting any of this down. All the show notes, as well as links to Veronica's organization and the projects that they're working on, are available at outcomesrocket.health/combs. C-O-M-B-S. That's Veronica's last name. You could find all that there. And Veronica, before we conclude, I would love if you could just share a closing thought. And then the best place where the listeners could get a hold of you or follow you.
1: My closing thought would be to look at your work or look at your projects or look at your personal network and consciously invite someone into your circle or to lunch or to coffee that you don't know anything about their work or you don't know their perspective. Maybe that means looking for someone with a chronic condition or looking for someone who has worked in pharmacy or medical devices or something. But I really encourage you to go out and find someone that you, you don't know anything about their work and you would really become a student if you were asking them about their work. And I find that, you know, if you're willing to buy a cup of coffee or buy lunch, most people are happy to, to share their experiences and to, to offer advice. And I think broadening your perspective will help you individually, but I think it also helps healthcare leaders really see everyone that needs to be at the table. So, um, you know, like I mentioned with the asthma work, uh, bringing people in the same room that aren't usually there together, it changed my perspective. It helped those participants see their work a little differently. And we had the Nature Conservancy on our community advisory board. And I don't know that they ever talk about asthma, but they certainly know about trees. So Mm -hmm. connecting the two really set off a cascade of relationships that we wouldn't have seen before. So I think that. I think that's really important for healthcare in general to invite someone new to the conversation that maybe you're not sure what they would have to contribute, but it never hurts to learn and ask.
0: Absolutely. And where would you say the listeners could get in touch with you or follow you?
1: Well, the Institute for Healthy Air, Water and Soil dot org is our website and uh, we have a blog there. We did uh, participant report cards for the asthma project and for the Catholic school project that I mentioned. So you can find all the details at Institute for Healthy Air, Water and Soil dot org. And then I'm also on Twitter at VM Combs and I am on LinkedIn too. So
0: awesome. Uh, all different places. Beautiful. So listeners, we'll have all the links to connect with Veronica. If, if something she said resonated with you, reach out and find out how you could collaborate. It's uh, outcomesrocket.health combs, C-O-M-B-S. Veronica, it's been a pleasure to talk about air and the quality of air and just thinking deeper about the things that can affect us in our day to day, our health that we usually don't consider. So I really, really thank you for, for taking the time to be with us today.
1: Well, I appreciate the chance to talk about our work. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the outcomes rocket podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.